This is Five and Nine, a podcast newsletter at the intersection of magic, work, and economic justice. Welcome to Season One, Episode Six. Ram, tam, tam. That was Rum Tum Tiddle, composed by Gene Swartz with lyrics by Edward Madden. It was sung by Al Jolson in 1911, part of 400,000 song recordings made available in the public domain this year. It's all music that might have been popular around the time of the creation of the Rider Waite Smith deck, one of the most popular and influential tarot decks in the world. My name is Anna Mina, aka An Shao, producer at Five and Nine. This is Dorothy Santos, director of Magic at Five and Nine. This is Xiao Wei Wang, creative director at Five and Nine. This is a special edition at Five and Nine. We wanted to hear Dear Abby-style discussions about work and career, and this is part two of a two-part episode, where we respond to guest queries with a live tarot reading and conversation. In part one, we discuss the gate, lock, and key spread that we're using, and we talk a little bit about the purpose of readings. To get the full experience, be sure to listen to part one of this episode at thisis5and9.com. Dear Five and Nine, I am a writer and trying to work on a big project that I often feel overwhelmed by. And in the face of looming deadlines, I find myself staying in the overwhelm and anxiety spirals or research rabbit holes. Instead of just doing the next little granular thing, for example, even just creating a messy draft of a tiny chunk of text. This is probably so common as to be cliche, and it's not exactly that I feel blocked or stuck. It's just hard to get the actual small step done that would ease all the rest. I'd be grateful for any advice or insight. Signed, too often distracted. <laughs> Can any of you relate to this? Any, any writers here? <laughs> ah, it's like every day of my life. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So real. This is a tough one. I think any big project, it's really that feeling of overwhelm that causes so much anxiety. I deeply, to like the depths of my soul, <laughs> resonate with your question. Too often distracted. I will say something that my therapist has asked me has often been like well in these instances what do you feel like you're avoiding she asked me that and I'm just like wow why are you such a good therapist you know there, I, I I received a great piece of advice early on in my book writing which is you have to project manage yourself because no one else is going to do that for you like in an office environment, so often there's a project manager and there's a person doing the production. There's someone who's keeping everyone on task and there's the people doing the tasks. When you're an author, especially if you're working alone, you're both of those people. You're both the writer, the researcher, and then you're also the project manager. You're the person who has to make sure that all the tasks are getting done. One thing that I do when working on a big project is I, I turn on project management brain and then I turn on writer brain. But those brains are not the same person. They're not the same time of day. They're not even the same day of week. And that's, in most workplaces, that's often, those are often two different people. I think one of the things that 
surprisingly has been effective for me. This isn't effective for everyone is having an accountability buddy or people that you know that you're going to meet with, whether it's a writing group, whether it's we're going to send each other text messages. I used to do that actually when I was working on my master's thesis. One of my really good friends, Emily K. Holmes, who's also a writer, she would actually text me in the morning of a day that she knew that she had to meet a certain word count. Like, okay, I promised myself that I would write a thousand words by Friday. Could you text me on Thursday and just text me, how is it going with that piece? Very informal. And it actually was effective for both of us, but you know, you, you it doesn't work for everyone. Sometimes the small things don't feel like they add up and that's something we actually need to be reminded of constantly because the gargantuan big project is, that's not the thing that people, people don't see all the behind the scenes stuff, all the quiet work, all of the ways that you have met a deadline, freaked out, wrote 2000 words, scrapped 1500 of those 2000 words. Like nobody sees that. And I think when we think of all of those things put together, the actual small steps, they themselves become equally daunting to the big task at hand. And I'm saying that from experience where I am oftentimes scared to write out my to-do list. So I have to make separate to-do lists because I need to compartmentalize my life that way. You know, I've been thinking about this recently, especially because we live in a culture that's so emphasis on like productivity and produce something. Oftentimes we give ourselves such a hard time about our inability to do something. And I'll just put it out there. Writing a book, that is a huge project. It is hard and it is scary. And I don't know if this is true for you, too often distracted, but when I write short pieces that I'm like, oh, if I don't like how it turned out, it's on the internet, it's short, it's fine, it kind of falls away from memory. But book is like a different, it feels like a different ball game, right? So I think maybe also thinking about what what is that emotional response that is, you know, weighing in? You kind of pointed to that show it's like a book just has so much weight, literally. Um, it's, it's there. It'll be cataloged with the Library of Congress. It goes into libraries. People keep it on their bookshelves. Uh, that's a big thing. Okay, but wait a second. Listen. So, <laughs> I yes, I agree, uh, Shawe and Anna, that there's weight to it. But it's also a marker of time. Like, I wouldn't want anyone to feel that they are beholden to being the thing that they wrote. Because you change Absolutely. and you evolve. And I think that's something that too often distracted. I hope that you remember that. I think it's because you care. That's why this matters to you so much. But I think that's also what can be stifling is the block or the stuckness comes from that understanding that this is a project that matters so deeply to you. And at the end of the day, yes, there's weight and yes, there's gravity to it. But you're also ever evolving. Should we do a reading? And it's it's only fair that too often distracted also gets two keys. <laughs> okay. The gate. Oh. The gate that I've drawn for you too often distracted is the nine of pentacles. 
it's a feminine figure um, wearing a, a beautiful dress, a golden dress, and has a, is it a falcon in their arm, um, on their hand? Uh, they kind of have a glove that's holding a bird. And around them is a beautiful garden with nine of the pentacles, the coins distributed throughout. Many people interpret the figure as pensive or as joyful. That's uh, often seen as a figure who's looking um, at their successes, the things they've done, and admiring it. For the lock, I drew the Knight of Swords. And it depicts someone who is on a gray horse holding a sword. And there's a lot of energy, just like intellectual force that's rushing into the frame actually in the position of being next to the nine of pentacles it's almost like nine of pentacles it's like a pensive flowy garden vibe the knight of swords is kind of rushing in with the sword wielded at the nine of pentacles Ooh, these cards okay so here let's let's pick two keys then yeah okay that's some big sword energy right there. So let's see. What, what's the, the big key energy here? Oh, <laughs> so your first key, too often distracted, is the Hierophant. And then your second key is, geez, <laughs> the, it's a Ten of Swords. So the, the description here for the Hierophant and, and the Gorgon Tarot is it's a round deck. So it is a feminine figure, actually, that has their left hand raised, pointing to the sky, two fingers, often very Catholic, but I see it as pointing towards the the heavens. And then in the right hand, folded over the body, is uh, pointing a sword down. And we see a fish, a very symmetrical card in that there are fish at the bottom of the Hierophant and skulls and the backdrop is that of a garden and we see two moons behind them as well and and then there are keys actually <laughs> on two pillars I should say that that's very important since it's two keys and then the ten of swords it is a figure in the foreground the body is facing down the the arms are in a very vulnerable position over the head like that of resignation, like the posturing is of resignation. And instead of the swords being in the body, the swords surround the body. And it is against, or the background is that of, of a night sky. And it almost seems that there are these very abstract shapes that kind of fill, they, they kind of look like flowing leaves in the sky. There's a strong light that's coming through. Those are the visual descriptors for the Ten of Swords and the Hierophant for the Gorgon Tarot. I can't tell you how many times working on a book, I feel like the Ten of Swords <laughs> is just like my life. I literally texted Dorothy yesterday. <laughs> I had a terrible day of writing. Bury me. <laughs> Which I think is a good summary of <laughs> the Ten of Swords vibe. Bury me. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's it's funny, you know, I really love the Shall we your your visual descriptor for the King of Swords was really apropos that there's this kind of intellectual force that is just like charging ahead. You know, it's 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 this figure that's just like all systems go, yes. And what is interesting for it to show up in the lock position is too often distracted. I I, I feel that this is the energy that you're trying to you're trying to summons. 
you're you're wanting to conjure truly this yes i i this intellectual force i know it's in me i've done this before i've done this so many times maybe not in this particular form or format but enough so that it can be a catalyst for this big project but because it is so gargantuan perhaps in your mind you're just like oh but how do i just get on the horse also what horse also what what armor do i need it's just instead of embodying that energy we're thinking about all the accoutrements and what's the right outfit i didn't clean the apartment today kind of thing instead of charging ahead and that that takes energy and time but i really love that description shall we and it's it's so interesting. It's in the blocker position. Yeah, it's in the lock position. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Shelly, you were talking about this. There's a big difference between writing an article, even a, you know, a well-written, thoughtfully researched article and a book. An article is so often on deadline. You have to really embody that Knight of Swords energy. It's like a sprint. But a book is a marathon. Yeah. It just is. Mm-hmm. And when you're running that marathon, you have to accept that you're going to get those cramps. You know, your your legs are going to hurt. It's going to be hot. There are going to be bugs. It's going to be a lot of sorts, a lot of ten of sorts. And you just have to be present with those, be mindful of those. What is it that you're turning away from? What is it that you're ignoring, right? Sometimes we have to allow for that pain to exist, be okay with it. Because that's what makes for a powerful book. But it looks different because it's not the kind of hard charging energy of a a kind of tight article. It's actually kind of longer and meditative and takes just that much more time to produce. And I see that in dialogue with the Hierophant. I was talking with someone who's facing blockers with their book. They're, They're just getting started. They're in the research phase. As we were talking, I was like, this book is a spiritual project for you. It's not just intellectual. It's not just emotional. This is something deep. And when I talk to most authors, most of the, the, the act of writing a book, of wanting to write a book, because it's so hard, it's often coming from a really deep place for you. And you don't have to express all of that in the book. But sitting with that and, and kind of accessing that, what is the bigger story you want to tell? What is the calling that has brought you to this book in a spiritual sense? Um, whatever spirituality means for you, you can be atheist, but you're spiritual. And, it, and again, it looks just so different from that hard charging energy of the Knight of Swords. Absolutely. And I love that you pulled in the Hierophant, Anna, because, you know, I think that two that the Hierophant is pointing to, it's like two, which is the one, the worldly knowledge, right? The stuff that's like, oh, yeah, if we just like, know more if we just continue to research more there's that kind of knowledge and then the other form pointing above there's that spiritual knowledge or that creative part of your soul that's just like this needs to exist in the world right this book needs to exist it's almost like posting the mission statement in a very visible place for yourself where it's like I am writing this book because just like two sentences or an object or something that is just going to anchor you so Mm. that when you see that thing in your office or field of vision 
that you're reminded and you're kind of grounded and pulled back down to be like, is this piece of research, this rabbit hole that I'm starting to feel myself go down, is it actually part of this anchor, right? And so, yeah, uh, exactly what Anna said, where it's like, for I think for every author, it is very spiritual. It's funny because I think in Cassandra Snow's Queering the Tarot, actually like the way that they write about the Hierophant and its difficult relationship for many queer people that actually uh, associate the Hierophant with patriarchy. And I think the way that we're reading the Hierophant is very different because as Jessica Dork reminds us, it's also about benediction. And Helen Shang and I were talking about that and how they really appreciated that observation of the Hierophant as being one of what you brought up, Xiaowei. What is the anchor? How are you devoted to this project? What need does it fill? But most importantly, what need does it fill in your life? And I think with the Ten of Swords, you know, a lot of people freak out when they see the Ten of Swords, but it is completion. It's a type of acknowledgement that there's an epiphany that's happening and there's this intellectual journey that's occurred for that epiphany or those epiphanies to come to the forefront, to be top of mind. And I actually see the keys being maybe what helps think about getting the small steps done. So going back to, to the practical, going back to the pragmatic, what would it be like to give yourself that homework of, okay, I'm going to revisit why I'm doing this big project done. That's on the wall. We put painter's tape. So it sticks on the wall. It's not falling down. You can even frame that thing, you know, whatever, whatever gets you to remember on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, why this project is very important to you. But then also understanding that there's milestones that you probably want to meet on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Who's also going to help with that? I just really want to overemphasize that, especially in the times that we are living in, I don't like thinking that someone, especially a writer, because being a writer is such a challenging, tough job. It really is uh, that you are alone in that endeavor. There are people in your circle, in your ecosystem that probably want to help you. And that's okay to ask for that. Uh, it doesn't have to be big and it could be small, such as a text to check in, or it could be as big as what I mentioned, having a small writing group of two or more. I think everyone writes differently. Um, and I think being generous with yourself about that as well, right? Um, I was reading this great interview, I forget where, with the writer R.O. Kwan. And something that R.O. Kwan said really resonated with me where, you know, she was saying like, for them, writing is this very solitary activity that has a lot of ritual, which reminded me of the Hierophant, you know, like Haro Kwan has like the one cup that she can only use if she's writing, like the one shawl. And, you know, I think for me, like I struggle. I am not the like, when I'm writing, I'm in my own world and I feel like this you know, total, totally different than my day-to-day -day life person where everything's a mess and I'm like, you know, smoking cigarettes and just like have all these emotions and like, you know, I have my ritual and I have like my special things. Um, 
which I am totally not like in my day to day. It's such a beautiful kind of encapsulation of, I think, to me, the spirit of the Nine of Pentacles. Um, being generous, celebrating, um, recognizing what an incredible accomplishment it is as a writer to to get to the stage where you're working on a book. And, and maybe that's a good place to start with that generosity. The thing I wanted to add about the Nine of Pentacles is I learned something interesting about falconry on a research trip. And hmm. that is, it takes a lot of trust for the falcon uh, mm. or the bird to actually um, come back to you on command. Uh, b- birds are, mm-hmm. I mean, they fly for goodness sake. <laughs> they, not, they, they don't have to come back to a human, especially a human. If I was a bird, I would not come back to a human. But I mention this because on the Nine of Pentacles, um, the figure has learned how to command the bird. And the reason why the falcon is hooded is because um, the hood uh, changes the perception of the bird's uh, distinction between night and day. So when the bird is hooded, it just automatically believes, oh, it's night. Okay, it's time to, you know, whether, I mean, if it's not an owl, (laughs) it knows to rest. And so you can't do that unless you have built the trust of the falcon. So when you think of the nine of pentacles, you actually have so many resources uh, at your disposal. Uh, you have a command that no one else does. And it's only you that can really speak to what you're doing in this big project in the way that you are doing it. And so I just wanted to kind of add that because I, I always feel that's such a fun fact when I when a, when a nine of pentacles comes up for anyone I read for and I'm using the rider weight. And just a reminder that in tarot, this is not a prescription. These are not predictions. These are just insights um, that ultimately we have free will. You all know your context so much more than we do. These are just perspectives that we hope to share, both for just to challenge thinking, bring perspectives to our audience. But ultimately, these uh, decisions that um, need to be made are, are ones that you make. And we wish you the best. And thank you so much for, for your queries. But that's what tarot is. It's this friend that doesn't have to say much, but it's also not prescriptive. It's never going to tell you what to do. It, it, it kind of allows you to see that you have the answers inside yourself. I almost feel like I'm saying everything and nothing at all, but that's the best way to describe interpretation, like reading generously and also reading from a place that is for the highest good in your life. In many ways, a tarot is like a good therapist (laughs) where, you know, that moment when you're talking to your therapist and you just kind of see the slight eyebrow raise and, you know, your therapist is like slight eyebrow raise. So you're telling me that you want X, but you've been doing Y. And Y seems very going in the opposite direction of X. How do you feel about that? And I feel like tarot is just that. In the middle of the musical parade, won't you play it again? We have just one more episode before we close out season one of Five and Nine and go on our summer break. 
thanks to our audience for listening to this pilot season. Our closing episode, episode seven, will feature Kai Stowers, a mindfulness practitioner and integral coach, who will talk to us about diversity, equity, and inclusion, navigating career in a time of change, and leading us in a guided meditation. Subscribe now and be sure to tell your friends to visit. This is 5and9.com. I want to play it again.